0: this is undaunted life a man's podcast i'm your host kyle thompson let's get into it all right guys here's the thing right from the beginning Normally, when I have a guest on this show, I say, you know, I have a very special guest on the podcast today. You know, I'm so glad this person was on, but I don't think I can actually say that for this one. And so I really hope you didn't just skip over this interview because you didn't recognize the name in the title because, oh, you're going to love this story, especially it's like it's tailor made for my audience. So my guest on today's show is a new author named Crispin Mayfield. Okay. So he's a author and a couples therapist, and he wrote a new book that's out as of right now called Attached to God, A Practical Guide to deeper spiritual experience. And so, you know, the publisher, basically they gave me a list of books and they're like, Hey, here's some of our books coming up. Can you check some of them out and see if anyone are of them are interesting. And so based on the blurb on this book, I was like, okay, that'll be interesting enough, but I don't read these books weeks or months in advance. I read them like the week of, uh, you know, within a few days of the interview. And so, uh, I read, I did so And this guy is a proponent of using something called attachment science to help people develop a deeper spiritual life. And so I read the book with an open mind, but I was like, okay, as I'm reading through the book, I'm like, man like, I don't really like the, the, the way this guy's framing things. Um, you know, as you go through the book, it's like, this guy's a very, very emotional guy, a guy that doesn't really have his emotions in check. And again, I'm trying to remind myself, have an open mind. And then he kind of said some, universalist you know, things and some things that seem deeply, deeply heretical. And so I'm doing all this preparation for the interview within a day or two of the interview. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know that I could recommend this book to my audience in good conscience. Like what, what do I do? And I worked with some of my, my guys here, uh, that I, that I go to, uh, that don't see things the same way that I do or as intensely, uh, you know, Derek, a guy that, that I work with, uh, here, another guy named Matt. And, you know, they were like, Kyle, just go into this interview and just be curious. Like, you know, try to find some, some points of clarification, try to find some points of agreement and all that. And, you know, basically control yourself. Don't let him uh, control you. And, you know, you can't control his reactions. Just ask him the questions you want to ask him and kind of move forward. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'll do that. And so I, I, I go to the interview and I'm like, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm like, you know, I feel like I'm about to walk into a gunfight, but before we started recording, okay. And I wish I had started recording so that I could show you exactly how it went. But before I hit the record button, I gave this guy a heads up and and we're being cordial. We're being polite. We're chatting back and forth. And I congratulated him on his, on his first book and how hard that had to have been and all that. And I said, Hey man, just so you know, we're going to be getting into a lot of the the points on the book. I want to tee you up to tell us what it is about, but there were several things that I feel like I disagree with in terms of the things that you wrote. There were several things that I need a little bit more clarification on. And so I'm going to be asking you those questions today. And so if a question comes off as pointed, just know that I'm not, you know, attacking you personally or that I'm trying to offend you. It's like, I know what my audience would want because for for me in this show, my number one goal is to honor God with it. and My number two goal is to honor you guys, right? more so than any guest or any publisher or any movie maker or studio house or, or, you know, marketing company. Like I have a responsibility to God and I have a responsibility to you guys. So I just, I told him off air, I was like, Hey man, I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions, kind of challenging you uh, on your points of view, but I hope that we can find some places of commonality and agreement. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Let's get into it. And so here we go. We start wading into the interview, right? And it's seemingly going well. And I'm a little bit shocked. And as my questions got more pointed and I brought up some of the more heretical things that he brought up in the interview, I, I, you know, I was even more pleased because even when we disagreed, I was like, okay, I'm trying to understand your perspective. Well, what about this? And what about that? In the entire interview, I use his words from the book. Okay. So I'm reading his words directly from the book and I'm trying my absolute level best to make sure everything was in context. So I didn't just take some random thing out of context and beat him over the head with it because that's not an appropriate thing to do. So we get to the end of the interview. I get through all my hard questions and we get to the end and it's like, okay, I feel good about it. But there was something interesting that As soon as the interview is done, just so you know, my little program that I use to do these uh, digital interviews, you have to wait a few minutes for the video and the audio to upload from their side and your side so that you can pull it off so that you can edit it together later and you make it sound like you're in the same room together, right? And I could tell that he wanted to just hurry up and get, to get out of there and so it's like I I don't know if he had another appointment I don't know if he needed to take a poop I don't know if he was just like uh, mad at me like I had no idea but I could tell that he was not wanting to stay there and even after the interview I was like hey man I really appreciate you engaging with all of, of the, my questions that I had and you know I know that that could have been a, a tough thing but uh to, to kind of go through that but I, I really do appreciate it. I think it's going to be good for my audience I'm happy to have you do that And he's like yeah thanks And so I'm like, okay. Uh, And then I record the intro outro, which I do after all my interviews. And I said in the original intro and outro uh, that I recorded right after the interview that, man, you know, I I was pleased with how this went. And, you know, I may not agree with this guy. And if you pick up his book and read it, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I would ask him this and that. But I wanted to make a good interview and, and, you know, be thankful for his time that he gave to us. And it was a very, very positive intro and outro. And then about two hours later, I go to my Twitter. Okay. And so I'm scrolling through Twitter and I get a tweet from some random person. I know this is a long intro, but hopefully you're enjoying it. I get a tweet from at Corey Bowers and it says at Kyle OKC, which is my personal Twitter account at Kyle OKC pagan. One word pagan. I was like, oh, okay. Like that's odd. And so I click on this guy's profile and he had just subtweeted something from Crispin Mayfield, a tweet that he sent right after he got out of my interview. So let's just read his tweet here. Wow, just finished an interview where someone read in my book when God said, I'm your mother now. And in the interview, the person told me that he thought that was actually Satan speaking to me because God is male. Throwing up emoji, angry face emoji. Because I did ask him about a point in his book where he said that God told him, I'm your mother now which is odd considering the fact that every direct description of God in the Bible refers to him as he, or as king and not queen, right? Or as husband and not wife, right? So I, I didn't seem like it was that unfair of a question, right? And so, but then the hilarity just ensued from there because I was going through the comments. Like, I, initially I was like, what a douchebag out of nowhere to just, you know, kind of throw me under the bus like this. And the odd thing about it is he didn't tag me in it, but weird. It seems like his fans are finding me. So unless they're hacked into my system and know that I just talked to him, I'm pretty sure he's letting people know that he just talked to. So then somebody responded to him and said, are you okay? And his response is, well, to be honest, I just ugly cried. I told my wife that it's a reminder of how painful and harmful evangelicalism is and what it's like to have your spiritual and emotional experiences constantly undermined. Hilarious. Absolutely. Like what? The ugly cried because a podcast host asked him some direct questions and was trying to find some common ground, but it got better. Another guy was like, so is this some kind of ambush interview? His response was definitely turned out that way. Again, an ambush interview would have been if I would have been really, really nice to his face before the interview, only to turn up the heat afterwards and to do so in a negative manner, which is not what happened. It's a little bit indicative of what he did acting really, really nice and appreciative to my face, only to go immediately to Twitter like, like a true hero, right? And complain to his followers. And so this was my response. Again, I told you guys before, don't get into Twitter spats, don't get into Facebook spats. But I did want to make some response because he was a coward, an absolute, complete coward going to Twitter and complaining to his followers about how he ugly cried. And so this is what I responded back. I actually asked you if you had ever considered the fact that perhaps the message didn't come from God and instead came from the father of lies. Accurate framing is important. How about you encourage your audience to listen to the interview to see if it was fair? Now, I know he's not going to do that because this is a type of guy that comes from a very leftist liberal worldview that wants to be told how much he's right. Like again, all the things I thought about this guy going into the interview during the interview, I thought I was wrong only to be confirmed a couple of hours afterwards. This is a fragile, small little boy. He cannot have somebody poke at his ideology and come up with any cogent responses to it. So his response is to flame, is to cry, is to, to go up into a hole and, you know, uh, warm up to his wife and have his wife stroke his hair and tell him it's going to be okay, sweetheart, okay? So I kind of wish now that I wouldn't have comported myself in the interview in the way that I did. But as a thought experiment, because I'm open to critique and I'm open to guys challenging the way I do things. So I want you guys to listen to this interview. And I know you're fans of my show because you're listening to this right now. But I want you to listen to this as, as much as you can, as a neutral observer, a neutral listener. And I want you to tell me, Send me an email to info at undaunted.life or, you know, send me DMs on any of our social medias or anything like that and tell me if I was fair to this man, okay? Now, to truly do that, you're going to have to go out and buy his book, go out and buy a copy of Attached to God, A Practical Guide to Deeper Spiritual Experience by Crispin Mayfield, and then listen to this interview and see if I was fair. See if you would have been able to control yourself as you're reading this nonsense on a page by this postmodern universalist and see if you would have responded in the same way if you would have bit your tongue in the places you thought you needed to bite your tongue and if you would have even tried to find some commonality with this place because what I did in this interview is I tried to honor Crispin Mayfield and the work that he put in even though I vehemently, vehemently disagree with it. I tried to honor the publisher that is putting this out because they put out a bunch of different things from a bunch of different perspectives and they can't please everybody and I'm sensitive to that but what he did was incredibly dishonorable and guess what? As The moment I turn this off Right. I'm going to go record a different outro and then I'm going to move on with my life. And I'm not going to think about this guy again. But apparently, he's going to be thinking about me often because I am just the personification of somebody that would would lord over him and try to hurt him in some emotional way. And this is my encouragement to all of you. This is why I talk about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience and how you should cultivate that on a daily basis. Because this guy is going to go through life being a victim because he wants to be. He doesn't care about strength. He doesn't care about resilience. He cares about being a victim. He cares about being a leftist, and he cares about pushing the church in a leftward liberal direction and he wants you to be on board with it and i say no sir we're not going to do it not on my watch so guys with that now behind me without further ado let's get into it crispin mayfield welcome to undaunted life of man's podcast
1: thanks it's so great to be here i'm really excited to talk today
0: I'm happy to have you on because I don't remember the last time I had a first time author on the show. Like, well, I guess if I had to think about it, but you're not a guy that's been on the New York Times bestseller list 10 times or something like that. So I guess before we even dig into the new book, so don't tell us the name of the book. It'll be a surprise for for guys here in a second, (laughs) but you're writing your first book. That kind of feels like you're naked on stage, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is your first foray into this world. How does that feel for you?
1: Yeah, it's been well, I I mentioned to you before you started recording that uh, my wife has published a couple of books. So, nice. I feel like I've been able to see it from like the outside and that helps me keep my balance a little bit, but um you know, social media is it's it's a blessing and a curse and um, you know, you, you, gotta spend a lot of time on there when you're, when you're starting out with a book. So, um, I will be excited to be able to take a step back from that at some point soon. <laughs>
0: Okay. Very good. Well, let's go ahead and get into the new book. So the, or the, the first book, the only book by Crispin Mayfield, and that is attached to God, a practical guide to deeper spiritual experience. So I always like to give the author a chance to briefly, uh, describe their book, kind of the spark notes version in their Mm -hmm. own words. So in your own words, what is this book about? And I guess, what do you want, uh, the readers of the book to get out of it?
1: Yeah. So basically it's based on attachment science, which is the psychology of relationships. And there's, there's about 50 to 60 years of research about how we do relationship with others. And it started with looking at parents and children. Then we looked at uh, partners, friendships, et cetera. And I'm basically looking, all right, so what does all this research say about how we relate to God? And um, because we, you know, in, in church spaces, we kind of have this assumption that everyone relates to God in the same way. But really what we find out as we dig into the research is that people have different personalities. They have different ways they relate to the other people in their life. Um, some people are really clingy at the other end of the spectrum. There are people that are like, mm-hmm. I just don't really want people like just leave me in the garage all day and I will be happy. <laughs> and so it was looking there from like, OK, so how do these different people approach God and relationship to God? And what are the ways then that growth looks like for each of these people? And so I'm pulling on um, a lot of research and science and my own experience as a couples therapist, um, but then applying that over to what does that look like when, when we're relating to God?
0: Okay. So within that study, within that field of study, attachment science, Mm -hmm. we see that there are attachment styles and you kind of alluded to a few of them there, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to get you to do a little definitional work, which I'm sure you're used to, but you define three in the book, three of these Mm -hmm. attachment styles. There's anxious attachment style, there's Mm shut down attachment style, and then shame filled attachment style. So can you briefly describe those three, four so that we're all on the same page?
1: yeah, so the anxious attachment style is is when you are anxious about the relationship. There's always that kind of in the back of your mind, like, are we okay? And you know, this can be a romantic relationships. Maybe you've been that person in a relationship. Maybe you've been in a person with that relationship where it's like i gotta I gotta get a text message from you every hour to know that you're not mad at me. <laughs> that sort right. of thing, right. But then when we think about that with God, we do this, we can take that same approach where it's like, I'm so focused on making sure that I'm following God it, it 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 becomes almost a worry it's something that takes up space in the back of my head throughout the day that maybe actually gets in the way of me um, you know be attending to the people in my life or doing my my job well or you know really showing up in the ways that God mm-hmm. wants us to show up because we're so worried like am I doing this right am I offending God in this way um, so that would be that anxious type where it really feels like I'm walking on this tightrope to try to keep connection. Mm -hmm. The second attachment style is a shutdown attachment style. And this is where um, these are folks that are like, I don't really do emotions. I don't like emotions. Um, And really where that comes from is like, if early on you are told, um, you know, stop crying, uh, don't be so worried. You know, sometimes it's like, don't get angry. Um, You learn that like, if I'm going to belong, if I'm going to get connection with my parent. I got to stuff these emotions down. I got to just ignore them. And so then you grow up with this approach and this shows up with God as well, where it's like, if I'm worried, if I'm sad, that means I'm not believing the truth of the Bible. So that means I don't have faith. Right. So I got to pretend like I don't feel those things. Um, And so that's where that shutdown attachment style. That's what it looks like is I'm just going to rely on logic or rationale, or I'm just going to focus on doing things because I don't want to connect on that deep level. Cause I've been told before that if I have these negative emotions, that's going to lead to disconnection.
0: Right. Well, I appreciate you going into to all that detail uh, on all those different things. And so did you get out everything you wanted to get out about anxious
1: uh, shutdown and shame filled? So shame filled is third. Third oh, sorry, is, dude. I, yeah, I totally
0: skipped ahead. Totally we're gonna edit fine. that part out because I look like such an idiot. Yeah, so we're yeah, just no. gonna pretend like none of that happened. You yeah, just yeah. Keep going. Right. Good.
1: <laughs> okay. I, I like leaning into the editing. Right. Um, <laughs> so, and then the third is shame filled, and this is that person that's like, I want to be close, but I'm afraid that I'm not enough. It feels like there's something wrong with me, and that that can look like that, you know, insecurity of like, I want to, I want to be close to others, but I'm gonna beat myself up or like self, you know, do the self-critical talk mm. to make sure that I'm rejecting myself before anyone else gets a chance to. And we do that same thing with God, where it's like, I know God is perfect and holy. And if I can just feel bad enough about myself, then God will embrace me because God's like, all right, yeah, you know, you're bad. So now I can, I can, uh, <laughs> you, know, right. you know, you're bad. So now I can let you close to me.
0: Gotcha. So, well, just so we can be super authentic. I'm just going to leave that part in there from a second ago. Cause then people will know that I was actually reading stuff while you were talking, but I do pay attention when people are talking. All right. So guys, chill out, relax. <laughs> but what I want to do now, Chrisman, I want to ask you m- maybe one question about each one of those styles, but then I just want to flow on a bunch of other stuff from the book that I just kind of picked out that I wanted to get some clarification on. So yeah, going back it. to the, the first style you talked about, which is the anxious attachment style from my perspective, because I, you know, when I took your little test, that was like mm-hmm. the lowest one for me personally. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, So people with this style seem to be overwhelmed by this neurosis and they're like overpowered by their own emotions and their seeming desire to be emotional. Mm -hmm. Do you see that as as a healthy thing? Because as I was thinking through it, not understanding it myself personally, because that's not how I'm wired. I don't know how that can be positive. So just kind of help me understand Mm -hmm. that a little deeper.
1: Yeah. So really some of the issue there is, um, is if. If we are are not able to get our emotional balance, right that part is really important. And so if it like you're saying if I'm really overwhelmed with my emotions, that's mm-hmm. a problem. Um, also what ends up happening with people with this style is they will be like, I feel bad and I need you to fix it. And okay. whether that's so like projecting with, it. On exactly. Somebody. Right. And whether okay. that's with God or, or with a partner, like that doesn't, that doesn't work very well, um, in relationships. Um, but really a lot of it is too, like if you're carrying around that anxiety all the time, mm-hmm. um, then it's gonna really take a toll on your nervous system, on your health, on your relationships. And so emotions aren't bad, but it's being able to say, I feel sad, reach out to God, partner, whoever, and, and just having someone say, Oh yeah, that is sad. Like I hear you. Right. That actually can help reduce the emotion. Mm -hmm. It can reduce it by like 70%. Actually. Um, they've done some studies on just like having that emotion named, but if I'm like, I'm really sad and nobody can help me and you nothing thing you can say can help. Right. Like then that perpetuates the cycle of like, I'm alone in my emotions and I'm not letting you in. And after a while, you're going to get really annoyed with me because there's nothing you can do to help me either. And so it's going to be like, so I'm going to start ignoring your emotions, which means you're going to get, try to make them bigger and bigger to get my attention. (laughs)
0: It's almost like you're setting whoever's up on the other side of the equation. You're setting them up for failure because they can't do it, you know, perfectly to your liking. So, mm-hmm. so again, that's the anxious attachment style, but now let's yeah. go to shutdown attachment style. So when I took your little test, like that's kind of where I was and uh-huh. I am like way far on that side. And in the book, you even talked about how the shut di- the shutdown attachment style. And this is a direct quote is based on the presumption that emotions such as fear, sadness, pain, and doubt are incompatible with the life of faith. And so for, for me specifically, um, this is how I'm watching a lot of the guys that are kind of in my foxhole and my, in my core group of men that I have around me, they have this style, but we don't look at fear, sadness, pain, or doubt, mm. or any of those things as incompatible with a life of faith. And we're not guys that when you're like, Hey, what are you feeling right now? We're like, I don't have any freaking idea. Uh-huh. Like I'm just a guy over here eating beef jerky, being an idiot. Like none of us are like that. And so mm. I guess that's where I scored so high on the test. But at Uh the same time, I'm like, that doesn't exactly describe the whole me. So again, I'm dumb. Treat me like I'm dumb. Help me.
1: Well, I think that's really good to point out. And, and my assumption there is like, you've done work. We all start somewhere with one of these profiles, right? And then we go from there and, and we have to do, everyone has to do some work to get to a point where we're more emotionally healthy. And so I think, um, You know, even in the book, I talk about some of the messages we get from church leaders about how, uh, you know, it's not okay to feel these things. And I think Mm -hmm. there's been a really cool shift in the church. Um, And it's slow, but um, recognizing that there is, you know, this authenticity is is a vulnerable thing and it's a really takes a lot of courage. And so I see a lot of people stepping into that. Um, which has been really beautiful to see. So that's, that's like my two senses. Like, yeah, you, okay. you probably like, and, and it's also worth noting that that might be where you go in distress. So, uh, when I'm having a fight, you know, part of the question is like, if I'm having a par- a fight with my partner, am I going to like, am I going to send them 10 text messages <laughs> or am I going to like <laughs> shut down and wait for the smoke to clear? <laughs> And I might, right. in different settings, be able to identify my emotions and be able to share. Um, but during these times, this is kind of where I tend to go.
0: Sometimes the smoke is half the fun because it's just like <laughs> that means there was chaos at some point. Uh, right. so, so that gets into that style. So that kind of um, gets into the shutdown style. And then the last one was shame filled attachment style. And in the mm-hmm. book, you, say, you have this quote here churches that constantly remind us how far we've fallen from God's ideal often implicitly or explicitly promote shame in the pews so so that's a quote now from my perspective and obviously from my read of scripture, I'm not a guy that grew up in church. And so it's like, I don't have, Mm -hmm. you know, 40 years of of doctrine that has been pushed down my throat. It's just kind of what I gather from scripture is that we are completely depraved and unworthy of a way out from under the weight of our own sins, right? Mm -hmm. And the only reason that the gospel is good news is because even in spite of that, God made a way through Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so do you find it appropriate? Everything's within reason because we're painting with a broad brush here today to a degree. Isn't it appropriate for a church to almost just remind you of your depravity, to be like, that's why the gift is so good?
1: Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. I'm definitely coming from a place of people with this shame-filled attachment style are already coming into church with this feeling like, there's something wrong with me, I'm broken, right? I think we get those messages a lot in society, in our relationships. We, we're we getting this message. And, and I generally, you know, it, it reminds me of... um uh, you know, years and years ago, um, I was in a church and and I was really um struggling at that point to deal with pornography addiction, and mm-hmm. so I went to my pastors and I was like, hey, um, what do you think about doing this program? Um, it's you know, it's a men's group. It's called Genesis Process. It's used um throughout churches and recoveries, uh, Christian recovery centers throughout the U.S., and they were like, well, it doesn't talk about sin enough. And I was like, well, we're talking about a group of men that are meeting at a church on a Wednesday night because the way that they're they're behaving is causing harm to themselves and their wives and their marriage. I don't think we need to like continually go over that part because if, if you're already there on a Wednesday night because this is a problem in your life, you already know that part. And so I think there is a question of like different people need to hear different things but I think a lot of uh, churches have made the assumption of like, well, this is what people really need to hear. They really need to hear that they're, you know, rotten and um, depraved. And, and I think that, uh, you know, really, um, I think that it's important part of healing and part of sanctification is understanding that we are beloved by God, that we are a beloved child of God, that God likes us, that God loves us. And I see that with Paul over and over because he's like, what are you guys doing? You know, you're a children of God, (laughs) like get it together, which is like similar, but slightly different than the, like the, you are depraved and this is who you always are. Right.
0: right. And and we'll get more into uh, kind of the belovedness uh, here a little bit. But something that you said just piqued my interest. So just just quickly, because yeah. I do want to get into some more parts of the book, uh, because you talked about people kind of arrive at church already kind of with that shame-filled attachment style. And what I, what I kind of jotted down is I think some people, not some people, a lot of people, especially in modernity, especially in the West, they they feel like they have brokenness, but they don't. Uh, they, mm. they have this victim mentality that they were born looking a certain way or into a certain family or in a certain area. And all of a sudden that means they're better or worse than, than mm. somebody else. Or, mm. you know, it's this again, I, I, the thing I wrote out was victim mentality. Do you feel like people mm. are bringing that victim mentality? Because gosh, I just don't really remember. I'm not that old. I'm 35, uh-huh. but I just don't remember people celebrating things that were, you know, bad or wrong about them at an early age and telling you, if you don't celebrate it, you're somehow a bigot. Is that mm. some part of this as well?
1: Well, I, That's a really good question. Um, I think that, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, like we've always had a sense of like, who are the outsiders? And so like, you know, I think about I'm the same age as you. And I think about, you know, recess or the bus. Right. And who lived on that street and, you know, what went on there and who smelled bad and all those (laughs) things. And, and, you know, that, that's like the elementary version of what happens is there are insiders and there are outsiders. And I think about, I think about Jesus and Jesus shows up on the scene and that is definitely going on in his day, right? Who, who are the people that are clean, who is unclean, who's behaving righteously, who's behaving unrighteously. And Jesus continually is like, yeah, you're welcome here. And so, I think uh, what's really important about this is there are people, I you know, I, as a psychologist, no, I'm not a psychologist, <laughs> as a therapist, um, yeah. I'm a counselor, that's a specific, right. but like thinking about psychology, um, we really understand that there are a, a big chunk of people that, that hold some sort of shame and that actually ends up driving a lot of our sinful behaviors. And so um when we understand, yeah, I'm loved and I'm accepted for the you know who I am, then that gives us kind of the grounding to be able to move forward. Um and so uh I mean it, it makes sense like we we're definitely in like a cultural shift right now of like yeah yeah. All the kids that at least felt like they were picked on in recess are getting their moment. And I think that there's some really great things about that. But it it's a really good question about like, how then do we approach this as a church?
0: Well, and is the pendulum swinging too far? It uh, is to a certain degree is because like I was a fat redheaded freckle face kid. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it was like I there, but Part of the other thing as well that we might see in the shift, and I don't want to go too far down the sociological <laughs> rabbit hole. But guess what? I got to leave the bullies at school when I went home, mm, mm-hmm. right? But now with with cell phones right. and iPads mm-hmm. and all this stuff, the the bullies are always in your ear, or, or they're always mm-hmm. looking at you and always doing things. So, so maybe. But right. again, I already said we're not going to the social. Let's <laughs> co- let's come back to the book. Let's come back to the book. Uh, I wanted to read this this quote from the introduction, and I think you know from from my limited knowledge of the the attachment style, it kind of it mm-hmm. goes with the anxious attachment style. So I'll. Read It here. The most frustrating part was that I'd greatly expanded my repertoire of ways to connect with God. My range was much larger than the basics I'd learned in elementary Sunday school. So, what was it going to take to feel as though God was near? I wanted to live in the overwhelming peace I felt on those first Sunday mornings. Instead, it felt like an on again, off again romantic relationship, making my spiritual life a tumultuous storm, not at all like the fountain of peace I'd been promised. After a while, I couldn't help but wonder how God really felt about me. So again that's a quote from the intro and mm-hmm. as as I was reading through that quote and then you know through the the lens I was viewing the rest of the book and and also some of the critiques I've made of of contemporary worship music mm-hmm. I think it's potentially a problem of framing that we're framing, uh, that part of the problem might be is that we're viewing God as this cosmic boyfriend that either texts us back or doesn't text us back, right, as uh-huh. opposed to the all-powerful, omniscient, omnipresent creator of the universe. So is it a personality issue? Is it a framing problem? Like, uh, give me a little bit right, more. Yeah,
1: no, I actually, I've, I've thought a bit about this because what we did up until recently was we had a lot of traditions. Um, right. And Right. And so it would be like, yeah, you show up to church on Sunday, you sing these songs, you take communion, you hear the word. Right. And actually, like for our brains, we actually need that constant reminder. Um, and I think that's pretty clear. Like, that's why. In the Old Testament, God says, set up these, uh, you know, set up these remembrances of me, you know, put the 12 stones together, um, you know, and then Jesus says, uh, you know, eat and drink of the the bread and the cup to remember. And so we need these constant reminders of like, we're like, God is kind, God is merciful. And God is, we're okay with God, right? So when I think about Jesus and that communion table, it's like, yeah, this is my covenant with you, that that we're good, we're okay. You don't have to worry about, am I closer, am I far? And I, re- I realized that people left those liturgical traditions because they sort of felt dead. Um, and, you know, there, in a lot of ways, like there are some good things that came out of that. But Mm -hmm. there's also this issue of like, all right, so I'm here sitting in church on a Sunday morning and it's up to me in my head to figure out, do I feel like God is close or not? Rather than like, oh yeah, like this is the thing that I do as a Christian and someone who follows God. I go to church on Sunday morning and that's part of my faith. Um, It doesn't, of course, have to center around that service, but I think it's just Mm. having those traditions reminds our brains that that we're good, you know, that we're okay with God, that God's okay with us. We don't have to be anxious about, am I closer? Am I far? And then you bring in this uh, really emotional worship charismatic thing (laughs) and people have immense like feelings of closeness with God. But then what happens when that feeling goes away? Does it mean that there's something wrong with me or wrong with my faith?
0: Right, absolutely. Uh, I think that's an important uh, distinction to look for in terms of kind of what, uh, where we're getting our knowledge and kind of where we're getting some of the the ideas. And I want to skip ahead to to a question because you you basically um, talked about it there a little bit. Is in the book, you you constantly are talking about the warring dichotomy, I guess, about what your head knows about mm-hmm. God in your salvation versus how you feel about mm-hmm. God in your salvation. And at one point, I just started circling every time you use the word feel or feelings. And I was just like, uh-huh. you know, I was using an, an Apple pencil, but I'm like, I'm somehow going to run out of ink because it was just all <laughs> over the place. Uh-huh. But I guess, shouldn't it be a relief Crispin to us to know that our feelings on the matter don't actually affect the reality of of God's love or your salvation. I mean, just think about it. this is a stupid example, I, uh, mind you, but let's say you just hated the number four. It just uh-huh. looked funny to you. You know, your your mom had four you know husbands, mm-hmm. and they were all terrible to you. You just hate uh-huh. the number four, right? Yeah. Well, that doesn't change your feelings on the number four. Doesn't change what the answer to two plus two is. Mm-hmm. And so it's not going to be five just because you don't feel like the number four represents you or mm-hmm. you know makes you have positive feelings. So isn't that a good thing though that the way we feel about our salvation doesn't actually matter in terms of whether or not we are saved
1: Mm -hmm. yes it does definitely and at the same time our attachment system is always running and it's always attached Mm -hmm. to our nervous system and so what happens is if i feel like there's a rupture in my relationship um and and listeners maybe you've experienced this before you get into a bad fight with a partner and it feels like the world is ending right like and so that on a neurobiological level is happening where like we actually end up like if it feels like i'm far from god there's this part of me that it's impacting my body and so that's it would be really nice to be like yeah i just know that this is true and my feelings don't matter and that that is true and then the other part of it is, is like, well, how do I start to help my feelings line up with, uh, what I know to be true? And, and feelings is like, uh, you know, I, it's funny that you said you circled it. Cause I remember writing it and I was like, I wish there was another word for a different feelings. word that could mean right. the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but really it's like, it's our experience, you know, that's what I'm really trying to focus in on is like, if God likes me or if god loves me or if i don't have to worry how can that match my actual experience day today and and how can i walk in practices towards that
0: right so it's interesting you say that because because to be honest after reading your book, I didn't think you would answer that question that way. And huh. so I'm going to skip ahead to uh, to another uh, quote because uh, this, this quote stuck out to me as well. This was on page 118 of your book, right? So this okay. is over the halfway point. You have uh-huh. this quote. Before you become too worried, I want to be clear that we can't base our theology on t- entirely on our feelings. Mm -hmm. but up to page 118, I felt like the entire book was about feelings and Mm -hmm. every page thereafter, I felt like really focused on the essential nature of feelings over facts or overhead knowledge. So did I, it wasn't a deliberate misread because I was reading it with an open mind as much as I could, Right. but is is that a fair, uh, is that a fair assumption of kind of what somebody could potentially come away from your book thinking?
1: Yeah. So basically what I'm going with is, um, It's trying to make sense of the way that we feel in our faith and definitely written for people that are like, have this sense. I mean, I think it's pretty clear from the introduction. Like if you're reading this book, like you're in a place where I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out like, why does the way that I'm told faith is supposed to work? Why isn't it working this way? Why is my experience not fitting the thing that I've heard. And so- Is something
0: for, broken in the way I'm doing it? Right, Am I doing exactly. it wrong?
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I think okay. it, was, it was so helpful for me to, for example, recognize like, okay, my whole life I have felt like it's up to me to keep my relationship with God. And so like, I need to get it right. I need to do it right. And therefore there's actually a lot of anxiety that I'm carrying around tied to that. And then to see this research, this scientific research about babies and their mothers, and find that babies actually do the same thing—they have this biological response of anxiety when it feels like they have, they're in charge of the connection with their mom. And so, um, so I think that was really helpful. And then, like you know, also thinking about um, the shutdown attachment piece of like. If you if you got a message early on that emotions aren't okay, um, then it just totally makes sense that you shut those down and you try to ignore them. And so I think a lot of it for me was saying like, these are actually like biological processes that just naturally happen. And so when okay. we're given these messages uh, about God, then it makes sense that we're going to respond in this way. And then what I did was I said like, okay, so if these are the, if this is what science tells us we need for a secure relationship and it doesn't have to be like super responsive. I live in Portland where people are more progressive and people use like lots of emotion words, uh, with parenting and that's helpful to some extent, but like you don't have to like use all the feeling words to be a good parent. Um, but really what, what I was finding is that, um, yeah, if, if this is what the science says for a secure relationship, I wonder if that's present in the story of scripture. And, um, that really prodded me to, to do a lot of like theological research about how do we, um, how do we understand like the purpose of the law? How do we understand mm-hmm. Jesus's covenant? Um, how do we understand how God approaches people Um, so yeah, that's, you know, and there are lots of books out there that will teach you the right theology. I was trying to make sense of like, you know, how do you make sense of your experience in light of this?
0: Okay. And it sounds like you're still on that that journey of trying to understand. I mean, I guess you could coyly say it's a lifetime journey, but uh-huh. it's still something that you're on. So there's another quote. I appreciate, let me kind of go down that rabbit trail yeah. for the clarification on that. But you also had this short quote that, you know, that I found interesting. And you said this, it seems God cares more about fame and glory than our emotions and experience. And with with all these quotes, guys, to, to anyone that's like, you know, a big Kyle fan or a big Crispin fan, I'm trying to keep all these in, <laughs> in as good a context as possible. I want yeah, to be as fair as possible. It. Yeah. But whenever I, whenever I read that, I, the thought came to mind, like, have you ever considered the thought that maybe the Bible isn't about you and your feelings? And I'm saying this to you as much mm-hmm. as I'm saying to anyone else listening, right, yeah. that the story of the Bible is not the story of you, that perhaps mm-hmm. we are not the point that perhaps God is about God and we're not the primary focus.
1: Hmm. So I I hear what you're saying because I have that same like feeling of like yeah it it can't just be about me and it can't be individualistic, but here when I think and and it's even that quote is a little bit of a uh you know a a, a misnomer I guess or um you know I what I would say is like God's fame and glory is health and healing and healthy societies. Um, And I think that's pretty clear when God brings Israel out of Egypt, God says, here are the ways we're going to do life together. Um, And a lot of that is around justice. And a lot of that is about, all right, so there, there are always going to be people that are suffering and that are marginalized. How do we pay attention to them? And so when I think about this, like I think about God really cares about about not just about me. God cares about humanity. God created us and is like, this is the way that I want things to go because it's good for everyone. And that's slightly different than like a God who's like, I don't want you to lie because that makes me really mad and you need to keep me happy. And I think about like me as a parent, right? Like I, I, when I am working on my kid's behavior, it's not because to keep me happy. I mean, there is like, yeah, you're doing that thing. That's annoying. Um, but yeah. generally it's like, yeah, how do we have a healthy family? I want you to learn the ways to relate to yourself and to others in ways that are going to be healthy and good for you, which is not the same as like happiness necessarily, but my goal is health. And I think that's the same approach that God takes with us. And I think that's, really clear when you look at the law, which I think was a gift to the people of Israel. And then you have Jesus who comes and says, like, yeah, here I'm gonna tell you again, here's the way to live. And then Paul continues on in that tradition of saying like, this is the way things are going to go best for you.
0: I would say even even in light of that, that even more than health, than our personal health, that God would would be obsessed with our obedience to, to what he's doing, because it's one thing to say, here are the healthy things you could do. Like, let's just use COVID as an example, so we can piss everybody off in this episode. But let's say uh, with COVID, we had said, Hey, if you're, if you're fat and you, you're vitamin D deficient and you have all these other preventable comorbidities, mm-hmm. COVID could probably kill you. And it's definitely gonna kill people like you at a much higher clip than it's mm-hmm. gonna kill people that are in shape that are taking vitamin D and you know doing all these other mm-hmm. things to, to take, take care of themselves. So there's the law. Everyone knows that. Like no one's smoking cigarettes thinking, I'm extending my life right, and yeah. taking a big uh-huh. puff. You know what I mean? Right. But it's like, I feel like God is way more concerned And this is my read from scripture. It's not just, you know, Mm -hmm. Kyle's wisdom. He's way more concerned about our our obedience to the law. And a result of that is that it causes us to be healthy. Mm. Is that, does that make sense in terms of like, it's, it's one layer removed maybe from what even you were talking about.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that's like a difference that we have. I, I really appreciated the Bible project. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They did. uh, They're doing some great work. They're based out of Portland, Um, And they did some really great work about looking, kind of summarizing what's the latest understanding around um, how the Jews viewed the law. And um, really they were looking at like, there. of course there was this idea of following the law, but really there were these ideals that God had for the people. and, And God was like, here's some examples of what that looks like. So justice, caring for the poor, those are things that are like, on God's values and then God says like all right here are the things that the ways that we can make that happen and i think that Jesus actually makes that point cuz Jesus comes along and says all right sabbath is like the thing that we do every week it is the cornerstone of jewish culture and you know y'all have these rules around it and and he says but if it's harming people then we need to change it. He says, um, you know, of course, like this, you know, Sabbath, man wasn't made for Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man. And I think that's where I take a lot of my approach is like, it seems like Jesus is saying that the law is there for our good, not us for the law.
0: Okay, so uh, I'm not really familiar with the Bible Project, so I can't say one way or the other uh, about that. So, anyone in my audience that's currently <laughs> screaming, like, Kyle, ask him this, bro, bro I, maybe later, like, maybe <laughs> not, we can do a right, second yeah. part to this. But I want to kind of get back to a couple of quotes that you had in reference to shutdown style, because me personally, as I was <laughs> reading it, that was the most pertinent to me because that's my style. So, I'll read these quotes here. Here's the first one You genuinely believe life is better when everyone stays calm. You consider yourself logical and solution focused. Because you're not clouded by emotions, you can clearly see problems and solutions solutions. You're the person others can call when they need an urgent solution. So the funny thing about that quote, as I was reading it, is you were framing it as if that was a bad thing. And so let me go oh. ahead and get into to the next <laughs> thing. You're still, I was like, oh, screw you, Crispin. You don't know my life. <laughs> uh, but let me go ahead and get into to the next quote here. Men's ministries have run full speed ahead with military metaphors that thrive on extinguishing feelings in favor of the quote unquote facts of the faith these provide biblical license to do what feels natural in the first place. Shut yourself off from emotions. Okay. So for for me personally, Mm -hmm. I I run a men's ministry. Uh I've worked with a lot of other men's ministries and I have never advocated for men shutting down their emotions as if it's a binary, you know, zero or one Mm -hmm. off or on. The other ministries that I've worked with and the other ministries that I'm aware of don't do that. However, we would be Advocates, and I'm a supreme advocate for a type of stoicism uh, mm. that that is having your emotions under voluntary control, Mm -hmm. because they're like Nehemiah in the old Testament that just came to mind. Like if he was just sitting there crying at the crumbled walls of Uh Jerusalem and never got, never got himself, you know, together enough to get up and start working, they never would have rebuilt the walls. Like, so Mm -hmm. his ability to take his emotions and use them as fuel in other places was a positive thing. And so the sense that I get Crispin from reading your book and from reading those section sections Mm -hmm. is that perhaps you personally are uncomfortable comfortable with stoicism and, or maybe you've seen stoicism as this negative thing. You've seen it modeled mm. negatively where it was binary. Someone just didn't show emotion mm-hmm. and it hurt their spouse or hurt their children mm-hmm. or hurt the people that they work with. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like you're just uncomfortable with that more controlled well, approach to life and faith. I mean, is that fair? I don't want to yeah. miss, miss, well, you know, yeah, judge I mean, that.
1: You know, I'm thinking, I'm reflecting on a lot of my own experiences uh, at Bible college and men's chapel. Um, And like I said, I think that there's been a lot of like shifts there, but yeah, I, I think if we're using it to just like shut down our emotions, then I think that is a problem because then you have the other people in your life and emotion is how we feel connection on a neurobiological level. That's how we feel connected. And so that's really where it can become a problem is if I'm just like totally shut down or checked out then the other people in my life aren't going to feel connected to me.
0: Okay, so so to be clear, you, you would advocate for a controlled stoicism mm-hmm. where you, you control your emotions so that you can be a person that can be relied on in a pinch mm-hmm. or even just in a positive scenario. Right,
1: yeah. And that being said, when it comes to emotional regulation, one of the best ways that we can emotionally regulate is through connection. There's actually studies uh, out there that they've done um, where they looked at people and noticed that uh, when they were connected with a partner, a partner was with them, they didn't experience pain from a shock in the same way that they did when they were alone. Um, There's studies about like if you uh, are (laughs) looking at it, this is so funny, but if you're looking at a hill And you're thinking, I have to climb up that hill. And then there's someone standing next to you. When that person's standing next to you, you estimate it to be not as big as when you're alone. And so there are these pieces. Yeah, I I totally hear you where it's like, we can't, we don't want to let emotions run amok. um, But we want to figure out like, what are ways that I can, that's, those emotions are data that I'm getting, Mm -hmm. right? How do I take that data in and then decide what I'm going to do with it? And,
0: okay. I appreciate yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no. And I was going to say, and I think like sometimes doing that is, is having that connection, right? So there's that time where it's like, I'm really pissed off. Um, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the store and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And then we talk it over with a friend and then it's like, actually, yeah, like I just needed to get that out. Like that's actually not a right. smart idea, you know? Well.
0: As I'm talking to you, it's like, I'm obviously doing some self-reflection, which you, you know, as a counselor, you cause people to do self-reflection. Like that's ultimately your job is to make them do the work. Like you don't want to do anything. You're the counselor. You just get paid no matter what. But the thing about it is, and I have counselor buddies that are going to, (laughs) they're definitely going to text me right after they hear me say that. But like, even for a guy like me is I'm kind of a, gosh, this is going to sound so douchey saying out loud. I feel like I'm a well-adjusted lone wolf. So when Mm -hmm. you, when you talked Mm -hmm. about the hill, I have worked out alone 98% of the time that I've worked out in my life. And I've worked Mm -hmm. out uh, for, you know, between sports and just, you know, exercise. I've worked out for most of my life, almost my entire life, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, I do that alone. And so I don't Mm -hmm. need that person next to me to be like, let's go do it. Let's run Uh up the hill we can." But almost everyone else in my life needs that. Like, they don't Mm -hmm. have that inner... F you, mm-hmm. that's just like I'm going to do it. And if <laughs> right. you don't think I can do it, watch me do it. Uh-huh. So I, that, it's just it's interesting. That's, there's not a question in that. I just right, thought that yeah. that was interesting as I'm mm-hmm. thinking, like, because again, I want to be fair to the content of the book, but I also want mm-hmm. to be fair to the audience that's not wired like me. Because right. the one thing that I feel like, especially guys that try to be, you know, podcast hosts or influencers, is they're like, mm. "Hey, I've done it, so shouldn't it be so easy for you?" I was uh-huh. listening to a guy the other day that on the same day he ran a marathon and squatted 500 pounds. Mm. The thing about it is, though, is you can't just train for three months and do that. Like that guy Mm -hmm. is genetically predisposed to be able to do both of those things. Mm -hmm. And he did the work to get there, but to, to just blanket advice Mm -hmm. to everybody and say, Hey, be like me because I'm an influencer. Mm -hmm. That's really, really stupid advice. Um, but I I did want to get into, to something else because there were a lot of quotes in this book that just caught Mm -hmm. me off guard. And I'm like, surely there is a deeper explanation for this. So from the book, I want to go back to it here. When I was growing up, my mom would often quote Max Lucado. God loves you just the way you are which was followed by a catch, but he refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. The second part was a stab in my side. And so I'm reading, reading, reading Yeah, Get it. I'm with you. I'm with you. And then you say the second part was like a stab in my side. Uh And so I guess the question that I would ask is Mm -hmm. if the first part of that statement that Lucado said were true, that God Mm -hmm. loves you just the way that you are, Mm -hmm. then what in the world do we need Jesus for? I mean, Mm. why, why was the cross even necessary? Because Mm. if he loves you just the way you are and doesn't want you to change, Mm -hmm. there is no separation from him. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, and so I think, uh, I mean, for one, yeah, that's that like question, like what does, what does the cross mean? What does salvation mean? Um, and, and I think, uh, that, So, oh gosh. I mean, we're, we're hitting on a lot of things. Uh, One is like, if the idea of like being just like Jesus is being purified so that we can be with God. Yes. 100%. If, uh, if being just like Jesus means like, I, I don't, um, I need to be perfect in the way that Jesus was perfect in order to like really for God to like me or, or accept me. That's where we run into issues. And this is for people that grow up where it feels like God is always disappointed in me. God is all God is always like frustrated or disgusted with me. And so, yeah, there is this piece of like, of course I need to change. But what we find is that um, when we experience delight when there's that sense of like that person that really likes us Um, and you know you walk in the door and their face lights up and it doesn't have to be like you know super emotional but we just know those people in our life right that feel safe that feel connected that we look forward to seeing Uh, those are the relationships that actually help us feel secure and it is in that security that we actually will make better decisions. We will make more ethical decisions. Um, in they just they study about people that feel secure. Uh, they run more ethical businesses. And so there's something sort of ironic about like, if I know that I'm okay, even if I mess up or if I screw up, um, I'm actually less likely to do that. And so I think there's that piece. Um, but I think the other thing is that um, when we think about holiness... And and God being perfect, it really, you know, we end up feeling like I'm I'm so dirty and rotten. Uh, God doesn't like me, and I just don't see that uh, throughout Scripture. I see God continually showing up. Like if God was so disgusted with with us, then Jesus would have just been puking everywhere. Um, (laughs) But I think that God shows up, and God wants to. I think about it as like a therapist. So as a therapist. When someone comes into my office, I I don't think like, get out of here, like, come back when you're better, <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm really glad you're here. It's good to see you. And and I generally like my clients. I genuinely like them. Um, and that doesn't mean we're going to whitewash the ways that they're harming themselves or others or the ways that they need to grow or the, the things along the way where they haven't matured. Um, but it's like, I'm so glad you're here. And don't worry, I'm in charge. I have the treatment plan. Um, I want to work towards healing and maturity and growth. <laughs> and um, you're also going to have to take, uh, make some sacrifices, do some hard work, take some risks along the way. Um, so I'm in charge, but that doesn't mean that you're off the hook either. Um, we're going to do this together. And I think that's actually a really good picture of like how God approaches us. And I think it's just so, I mean, just think about the people in your life that have been like coached you. I think that's, you know, in whatever regard, whether it's, or, you know, coached or mentored, maybe that's sports, but maybe that's just like in in that sense of feeling like here's this person that's helping me develop, but there is this sense of like, they really like me or they really get me. And like, there's that kind of secure, like foundation that we can build on.
0: So, so I I agree with, with parts of that sentiment where I feel like, Well, this, this actually attaches to another quote that I wanted to ask you about. So you keep, apparently you had, you, you saw these somehow beforehand because you keep dovetailing in the crap I wanted to talk to you about. There there was, and he didn't, by the way, I don't share my, my stuff before the interview guys get out of your own heads, but, but here's, here's the quote. We've heard a version of the good news that includes the bad news that we are revolting to God. It stains the good news, like a Trojan horse implanting shame in what's supposed to be a balm to our suffering. And so I guess in my, my, my worldview and in my read of Scripture, that's not a version of the good news. That is the good news. Mm. You know, if, if we weren't revolting sinners, then mm. there is no need for a Savior that, that can mm. uh, make us clean before a holy and just God. Uh, the reality is, is that God does love us mm-hmm. in spite of who we are. Mm. because who we are is sinners in desperate need of a savior. And we have to be the ones to realize that. Otherwise we should feel no need to have a savior because if we don't mm. feel like we need a savior, then why would we reach out to him? And so it's, mm. it's, it's the opposite of what you kind of said. Cause I've had people say before, <laughs> right. Hey Kyle, let me go get my life together. And then I'll come back and talk to you about this Jesus thing. And it's like, no, 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 you missed it. You right. missed it. Uh-huh. Like uh, don't right, right. Well. Yeah.
1: Right.
0: But it's Kind of the other side of it to where it's like, no brother, you need this, like, but you have to acknowledge that you need this because I can't force it down your throat, just like I can't force you to exercise and eat right. So again, I don't feel like that's a version of the good news. That is the good news. Am I am I crazy here?
1: Well, it depends on like uh, that difference between like revolting and dysfunctional. Like we're definitely dysfunctional. We are people in need of of a healer. We are in need. Of, like, yeah, we're we are we are screwed on our own, right? Um but I think And you that, and you
0: believe that. And to be clear, you believe yeah, that. Yeah,
1: uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Right. But I think um and and actually like to to really kind of dive deep into it really what we understand um is the the whole temple see this is where it gets nerdy. Uh the whole temple system Let's go was, there. Let's do it. <laughs> the temple system was set up because um you know especially like at the beginning when when Israel is brought out of Egypt and uh, God is you know, understood as one of many gods. Um, <laughs> gods were, weren't able to be in the same place as people. And so um, there's something about the, about a deity, about a God that um, can't get close to people, otherwise people die, um, which is what you see throughout Scripture. And so there needs to be this like blood hazmat suit um, sort of, uh, you know, if we're going to get close to God, like there needs to be a sacrifice. And that's really clear when we look through Old Testament law. This really is this whole picture of like, God wants to be close to us. How can we, how can God um, bring us close? And so God's trying to figure out the logistics of this because of the way that sin works. God can't be near sin, but that's, slightly different, but very similar to like, God hates, uh, hates us. Right. Or like hates us as we are. It's more like there is this division and we need to be saved and we can't come close. Um, and so then Jesus is basically saying like, I'm going to spill, I mean, he spills his blood for all people. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, as Christians, we understand the temple system then isn't needed anymore. And this is all in an effort of God coming to get us. It's not because God's like, you know, I really I I could care less about you. And um yeah, and I, I think a lot of it is about God's feelings. And the early Christian fathers understood that God um I mean, this was actually influenced in part by stoicism, but they're like, Yeah, God doesn't actually have a lot of feelings. God is uh, God loves us. And, um, just like any parent where it's like, yeah, like you can do things that make me really upset, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm going to keep showing up.
0: So I kind of feel like as you're saying that, like God seems like he's, he's almost outside of the world of feelings because he's, he's outside of the material world Uh and he is the material world. And so it's kind of like saying you love someone versus saying that that person is love. It's Uh like, we don't get it. Like that doesn't make sense to us in our material because we can't touch that. We can't put that in, you know, in a beaker and heat it up on a Bunsen burner. Like we can't do any of those things. Sorry, science people, if I messed up that reference. But I (laughs) I feel like it gets into an important part of your book, which uh, to be honest, I I wasn't sure the, the point that you were trying to make whenever you were talking about this. But the quote from the book is, perhaps you've heard that sin separates us from God. You may have even been told that the only way to end that separation and get close to God is through the punishment of sin. But the Bible tells another story. Mm. Now, I'm curious how you come to that. And, and part of part of what I'm about to do is, is more so for my audience from a reference point yeah, yeah, than right. it is like a challenge. Cause anytime someone's like, Well, what does right. Isaiah blah 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 <laughs> say? It's like, I don't know. It's like uh-huh. the Bible's so incredibly long. But right. whenever I read scripture, mm. I read through like Isaiah 59, too. But mm. your iniquities have made a separation between you and your mm. God. Romans mm. 623. For the wages of sin is death, but the free Mm -hmm. gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm -hmm. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness Mm -hmm. by his wounds. You have been healed. There was a punishment there. Mm-hmm. Then we've got John 3:16 and 17, because no one ever reads 17, because they get, <laughs> you know, they get on to 16. For yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And now 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And and the last one I'll say here is 1 Corinthians 15, 17, one of the most important scriptures in the entire canon. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible does tell that story of separation Mm -hmm. that we can't come before the father in your own words. Just a second ago, you basically Mm -hmm. said, you know, sin can't be in his presence. It it just, it doesn't work that way. But the only way that we end that separation is through the punishment of the cross. That's the only way. But then you say the Bible tells another story.
1: Like right, yeah. how? How does it yeah. tell another story? Right. I love that you're asking this. I love getting into the weeds around it. Cause Okay, so, good. Let's, I let's mean, get it. So for, for one, one of the, the the context of that is like we see continually God showing up with sinful people. So this idea of like we are separated you know, sin separates us from God, but like Adam and Eve sin, God shows up. Moses kills someone who runs to the desert, meets God. Jacob uh, steals the birthright, wrestles with God in the desert. And so this really basic idea of like God, like sin separates us from God just doesn't hold up within that narrative. However, the wages of sin is death. Like we are going to, if if we are our if we continue in the ways in our dysfunctional ways, it is going to lead to death. And there are a million different ways that could go um, (laughs) or or like we could interpret that, um, you know? And so as Christians, we generally think about heaven and hell. Um, There are lots of different interpretations within the Christian tradition about that. But, you know, I really look at it as um, yeah, we, we are sinners. We are, are in this broken system. We are, we're in this world that is sinful and we need rescuing from it and we need this world changed. And so within that, like, yeah, in, in Jesus in his death overcomes sin, right? Like that is, he defeats sin and death. And so what we find there is, is that sin has been has been ruling the world essentially. Right. And we see that over and over where like we live in, I mean, Paul talks about that, about that, this, that the, the powers of the world are sinful and we need to be rescued from that. And so um, when I look at that, I'm like, yeah, God comes to us with us and gives us that freedom that we need from sin. Um, and that punishment part, um, that's where I just, uh, we, we've generally assumed that Jesus is punished, uh, by God in our place. Um, but there are other ways of looking at that, which, it, which would be, um, for one, most of the, the temple sacrifices weren't for sin. They were, um, we're, we are, uh, shedding blood in order to have this uh, connection with God. And so there was one time a year where there was a, a sin sacrifice. Um, and that was more, that was about like, all right, like where um, uh, we've wronged God. We need to say we're sorry. But in terms of like the sacrifices around like entering the Holy of Holies, those weren't sin sacrifices. Those were Um, these blood sacrifices that needed to be made in order to get close to God.
0: Okay, so something you said there—you said a lot. There are a lot of ways to read all these different theological topics, and the obvious answer to that is, well, yeah, duh. Like, of course there is. Like, you—you <laughs> right. you obviously you pointed out the obvious. Like, people have been right. arguing about non-salvific and salvific things like constantly. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where, like, when some people really want to like go to bedrock on like this very obscure word in the Greek, and that doesn't right. really change how they're going to live their life. I don't really get it, but sure, if you want to do that with your time, go for it. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess. I guess, Crispin, in this conversation, I'm not as concerned about what a lot of other people think. I'm, I'm more concerned about what mm-hmm. you specifically think. So, so do you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, is the Son of mm-hmm. God and he was put on this planet in order mm-hmm. to die so that we could ha- have a direct pathway to the Father? And then with that, do you believe that hell is a real place that you go Ooh. if you reject that?
1: That's a really good question. So... Um, and I
0: want your answer, and don't don't obfuscate <laughs> it. I want the answer. We're staying in the pocket on this one.
1: <laughs> so, uh, in terms of uh, yeah, do, w- was Jesus uh, born to die? That's a uh, you know, it's it's obviously prophesied that Jesus is going to die, um, and and I believe that that is how like that's what Paul was so excited about is w- there is a sacrifice. God sacrifices Himself. In order, so that everyone can come in to the people of God, and so I I I believe that definitely that without Jesus' sacrifice, like Jesus' sac- I mean I I I also believe that the that God didn't mess up when God created the temple system. So, um, God is basically saying like, yeah, in order for us to be in relationship together, there needs to be the sacrificial system, um, and then Jesus, you know does it for now and then throughout the rest of time, right? Hebrews talks about that. And so, um, so that's what I believe was happening with Jesus. And, um, and so, and then, uh, but you know, I think the other part is that that Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to proclaim good news to the poor, um, to proclaim sight for the blind. And he had all these teachings basically saying like, this is the way that we need to do life and we need to do community together. And he hearkens back to that old Testament law. Um, and the religious establishment did not like that and had him killed. And I think both of those things are true, um, that Jesus did come to die. That was prophesied. I also think that if we skip ahead to the end, then we miss a lot of important things. That's not even answering your question, but I think it's something that I
0: no, I feel like you answered the first part, which is that you do believe that mm-hmm. that Jesus came here and part of his plan in coming here was mm-hmm. dying so that we would have a way to the Father. But right. the second part that you yeah. avoided about. Okay. No, well, let's I'm, go. Let's
1: I'm go getting there. there.
0: It's hell a real place. And well, you, you give your answer first, and okay. then, and then I'll, right, yeah. I'll give you something about it. Okay. Hand. Yeah.
1: Uh I am not sure. Um, and I legitimately like someone just asked me about that. And and um You know, I, uh, yeah, there's a lot, uh, you know, when Jesus talks about Gehenna, it's really unclear about, is he talking about the trash dump outside the city? Um, what I think is most important. Um, so here's where where you'll pin me on the, or the heretical part is that I don't think that God ever gives up on us. And so if there is a hell, um, which, Seems likely. Like I, I want to. Um, there, there are all these different ideas of hell. It seems very likely that there's hell. Um, I don't, I don't think that God. Uh, I don't think the the point where we die is the end, and um, there's a few reasons for that. Um, there's a really great book called uh, the evangelical universalist um, where uh, by Robin Perry, um, super nerdy, but basically he talks about like, yeah, like there, like, yeah, hell exists. Um, but some of these passages that we've interpreted around, you know, everyone dies once and is judged. Um, doesn't point to the direction that we think it does necessarily. So, uh, yeah, we're judged. You go to heaven or hell. But that doesn't mean that um, if we look at uh, Colossians 1, right, in everything, uh, Jesus uh, – let's see. God created everything, and God is reconciling all things. And you – like, so either – uh, God didn't create the people that are in hell that aren't reconciled or like you have to include everything in that. And of course, like, you know, you can hold up all these scriptures. You can, you know, you can hold up all the scriptures about Christian universalism. You can hold up all the scriptures about eternal conscious torment. You can also hold up all the scriptures about, um, what's it called? Uh, the, you know, where you just go out of existence. Um, Mm. but I think there's gotta be a way to hold it. And, and I, uh, I really like the Eastern Orthodox tradition, which is um, which is like we trust God and we trust that God is good. And, and we can't always know everything, kind of what you were saying before. We don't – like we want to have a dogma. I want to know everything. I want an encyclopedia of all the things in the universe in the afterlife. Um, and I think it's way more important to say I trust God and I trust that God is good. Um, and, and I don't think that, you know, some of the worries like, so what does that mean? Does that mean you, you don't evangelize or, you know, you can go into all that stuff, but I'm like, no, like, I think that, uh, if, if the only reason you're following Jesus is to get out of hell, like you've missed it anyway, in some sense, right? Like there, there's this dynamic of like, Jesus saves us and saves us now here and now. And so if it's just fire insurance, then I don't, I don't think that's much of a, a faith anyway, not to be like okay. to people's faith.
0: Well, yeah, but, but to kind of get to bedrock on that, you know, removing all the qualifiers. Cause if you mm-hmm. say, you know, Hey, are you a Democrat? It's like, well, yeah, I'm a Democrat, but I don't right, you yeah. know, agree with all their policies. We already know the back part. We already know you don't mm-hmm. agree with everything that they all say that makes you right. a zealot. So <laughs> would it be fair to say that you are a universalist?
1: Uh, I would call myself I, an, an ultimate redemptionist. And I th- I look at uh, the Old Testament and the tradition of restorative justice as um, a, a a good place to um, go, which is you could you would throw me in the camp at, of um, universalist. But what that means is, um, you know, I, I definitely am would be in the camp of George MacDonald and C.S. Lewis to say. Yeah, like people, people are judged, um, and uh, and but there also is a potential that people could repent. And so, um, when I think about Hitler, for example, um, you know, yeah, do I think Hitler's in hell? Uh, yes, and um, if Hitler could could go through a restorative justice process, imagine if he. Had to come to terms with the pain that he has caused so many people, and sit with them and look in their eyes. Sometimes I think about like empathy. Like, what what if the empathy part of your brain was turned on? How painful that would be. Um, and so I think there's a there's a path for that. My reasoning for that is in part because of the way Old Testament law is set up, where there's always uh, very often like. All right. If you uh, accidentally cut off, this isn't an actual example. If you accidentally cut off someone's leg, uh, you have to have your leg cut off or like you can help that person the rest of their life uh, tend to their crops. Um, So there's one piece of it. Um, And then the other piece is actually looking at Old Testament prophecies where it's like God says things like I'm I'm going to totally destroy Assyria um, there will be nothing left and all the men, women, and children will be utterly destroyed and killed. And then in that day, there will be a, a, a road between Israel and Assyria. And I will call Assyria my child, <laughs> you know, and you're like, wait, okay. you said that you just, we're going to destroy everything. Um, so, you know,
0: well, I will say this most of the times when you ask someone, are you a universalist? They won't just say yes. And okay. so uh, it's interesting enough, you at least admitted to being a universalist uh-huh. sympathizer, right? So like, yeah, I guess we right. can put it in that way. Um, obviously, I have, some, I have some massive issues uh, with <laughs> that whole ideology, but this would be my advice to you and to anyone yeah. listening to this so we can move on. Number one, stop listening to Rob Bell. And number two, um, when you read through the New Testament,
1: uh-huh. read
0: the red letters, Jesus talks about hell constantly mm-hmm. like he talks about the wages of doing x y and z mm-hmm. leads to being cast into the to the lake of fire being cast into hell and so my my kind of easy thing taking away all the other theological tomes that you could read is mm-hmm. if jesus said it and that's what those words mean even in our english context mm-hmm. i'm gonna gonna go ahead and go with that but but even with all that so i'm glad we kind of got through the universalist thing well, again glad, guys I,
1: it, and i was gonna say that's why that's why we don't like to say we're universalist because we it's like rob bell right which is different right. than like well it
0: like it adds well cuz again it's it's when you're when you're breaking someone down to their lowest component parts mm-hmm. and then you're filling in the rest of their story you're not always going to get the story accurately you might right. get the headline but mm-hmm. you're going to miss out on paragraph 3 so i get it again i'm just trying to be fair but I, but i do need to go to go to something that you know, obviously there are a lot of things in your book that that I disagree with. We've talked about some of those. You've given me some clarification, and I I think that's great. I think this is an example of how you can get clarifying information without calling the other person a horrible Satanist. Mm-hmm. But th- there was one section of your book that I found very very confusing, um, mm-hmm. and that I thought I just. Well, let me just kind of go ahead and get into it because there's got to be something that I'm, that I'm missing here. So in the book, you're, you're talking about a day when you woke up feeling like God was disgusted with you. Mm -hmm. Like you just had that feeling from the moment you woke up. Mm -hmm. Your wife, uh, she suggested that you go for a walk, go to this nearby Catholic garden and, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of clear your head, I guess. And when you got into the garden, you see the statue of Mary holding baby Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then you say that that God spoke to you. And guys, we don't need to get into the speaking and all that stuff. Like, just just we're, we're yep. going with the story. So you say that God spoke to you and said, that's like you and me. You mm-hmm. can cry on my chest whenever you need. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, like God is the mm-hmm. ultimate comforter. That absolutely mm-hmm. sounds like something. Like when you hear that whisper, that that whisper is probably coming from God. Mm-hmm. But then it was the next thing that you claim that God said to you that mm-hmm. was was very confusing. Uh, you said that God told you this, I'm your mother now, and mm-hmm. you can cry on my chest whenever you need. I know mm-hmm. you're so tired and sad and feel so bad about yourself. So obviously the thing I'm keying in on there is I'm your mother now. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when you read the Bible fairly, there are, you know, several references that show God to have some traits or, or actions mm-hmm. that can be easily considered more motherly on the motherly scale. Mm-hmm. But the Bible clearly and always when referring directly to God mm-hmm. does so in masculine terms. Uh, he's referred to as he and not she, you know, king and not queen, husband mm-hmm. and not wife. Mm-hmm. That That is how we're constantly to look at him. Yeah. So as as I was reading through that section, I was, I was reminded of something Bill Hybels said a long time ago. And no, this is not me co-signing everything Bill Hybels has said there. Good, have I got it? Yes. Got it. Got outside the cancel mop. Uh, but he said that y- you have to listen to those whispers, but then put them through the filter of the Bible to see where the mm-hmm. whispers are coming from. And so if you hear someone whispering in your ear, you're a horrible father, you're a terrible mm-hmm. husband, you should probably mm-hmm. just kill yourself. That's probably not something. Well, that's definitely not something that God would uh-huh. tell you, right? right that's yeah. coming from the father of lies. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, for you, has it ever occurred to you that it wasn't God speaking to you that day, but instead it was Satan, the father of lies, saying, "I am your mother now."
1: Uh, no, because I I know that um, the devil comes to steal, lie, and destroy, and so if if I know that God is saying, "I'm I'm here for you, I'm here to heal you." I I'm for your good Then I know that's God. And there is, uh, yeah. But that's I mean, not what
0: I, just to be fair, that's not what I yeah, was asking about. Yeah. It's the, I'm your mother. Now all the other stuff I'm, I'm good with, Hey, mm. you're tired and sad and you feel bad about yourself. Uh-huh, you know, right, come, yeah. come, come, come cry into my, uh-huh. to my chest. I'm good with all that, but I'm your mother now. Like that, that seems very heretical.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that. Cause there are, there are, uh, throughout scripture, you know, Jesus talks about like being like a mother hen, you know, that I don't think that God is, is, uh, contained within gender. And I think it's okay for God to say, um, I mean, th- some of the context of this is my own trauma. And so, um, looking at, uh, yeah, God showing up and saying, uh, you know, in, in fact, uh, <laughs> uh, I, God does talk, uh, in the old Testament about, um, Uh, you know, I remember like when you were a baby at my breast, um, and so, you know, I don't, I don't see that, uh, as heretical. And, and I also think like that, uh, that I'm like doing a quick Google search, right? Um,
0: no, you're, you're good, we're doing it live. It's all good. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it says, uh, uh, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should not have compassion on the center for womb? Yes. Okay. Well, that isn't quite it. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that God is like, of course, like God is continually referred to, um, as he, because that's the, you know, in some ways the culture that that was, uh, written in. And I think that's okay to use our, like, we're, we're going to ex- talk about God in the ways that we understand God. Um, but I also don't think that God is limited to, uh, gender because I don't, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that God is gendered that way.
0: See, I think all the examples that you would be able to find are the ones that I have already acknowledged, which is like God is described as having traits or actions Mm -hmm. that would be Mm -hmm. considered motherly. Mm -hmm. But again, when we're directly referring to God, it's Mm. always in the masculine. And and I do mean, because this question that that came up in my head, it might come off as unfair, but I mean it to be fair. Okay. I don't mean Uh this to be needlessly biting or offensive, but potentially, do you think that you might feel like that is appropriate because living in the very, very progressive and very, very, you know, blue city that you live in where mm-hmm. a lot of language we've tried to ungender things that make us uncomfortable. And we've mm-hmm. tried to just pretend like there is no binary. There's a spectrum of gender somehow. Like that is kind of a, a thing that is very, uh, that is very much so part of that culture. And that mm. could be a culture that maybe you've been marinated and steeped in. And I'm not trying to treat you as if you're some sort of ignorant mm. sponge that just, mm. you know, gathers up things that, that they hear here or there. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, do you think that might be a reason why that didn't, you know, hit your ear as a skew in some way?
1: Uh, no. And actually in the book, I, I said like, Oh, that's not what I've been told. And then, um, and then God You know, and and I even give that caveat of like I don't hear from God that much. I'm not like a super like charismatic person, but um, but yeah, I it really was the thing that I needed to hear, and I think that God shows up and does that. Like that's something that I clearly see throughout Scripture is that God continually, in our moment of need, shows up in these ways uh, to meet us where we're at.
0: Well, my my encouragement to you, Crispin, and again, I I mean this sincerely. No. You know, as a brother in Christ, even though we have some some significant mm-hmm. disagreements on how we view theology or doctrine, like I, I would maybe look into that a little bit further for yourself i don't care about writing a second book i don't Mm. care about a clarifying interview okay got Mm -hmm. your words are out there right they're Mm -hmm. already in print right right? if you're listening to this you can go get the book right now Mm -hmm. and so like i just would dig into that a little bit further because you know if he's the father of lies he can do things that don't seem like lies that end up blowing up but he needed to crack the door open just a little bit so uh, i think this
1: (laughs) this leads to the question of like if if god is mother why is why is that a a problem? If God wants to show up as mother, the thing is, is is like,
0: I would have no problem with it. If he was ever described as both in the Bible, like directly. And so for me, it it comes really right down to rigid doctrine to where it's Uh, like, no, no, no! Like God is not some sort of you know mm-hmm. non-binary, purple-headed you know weirdo. Like that's not that's not the, how we see mm-hmm. him described. And so again, if we're looking at things categorically, mm-hmm. we have we don't want to get into this postmodern idea of well, that's your truth or that's my truth. It's like mm-hmm. no, 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 no. There's either capital T truth or there's opinions, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's more so what mm-hmm. I mean. But you know, we've spent a lot of time on on this podcast going over a lot of different things. So I want to kind of crescendo with this, and you know, maybe we can make this our our last question here. So yeah. so most of my audience members are really grounded in biblical truth. I've got people that are on the reform side. I've got people that are on kind of the non-denominational side. I've got just, you know, regular old Baptists and Methodists. Mm -hmm. Like I've got it all here, but uh, the, the people that listen to this in general, they take the Bible literally, they take the Bible seriously. And in your book, you seem to draw a lot on wisdom that comes from outside the Bible, right? Mm, so, mm-hmm. uh, from, from the study of attachment theory and everything that went into that theory and all the studies therein, you mm-hmm. mentioned 50, 60 years worth of papers and books and all this other mm-hmm. stuff. And so to my audience, I'm going to yeah. let you have the last word here. Okay. You get to pitch my audience directly. So with that being said, knowing that that's the type of stuff that they're appealed to mm-hmm. or that they're, that they're attracted right. to rather, mm-hmm. why should they read your book?
1: Because going with this, if we know, uh, I mean, knowing what makes for a secure relationship, knowing what we need to connect and knowing that like God created us that way. right? God created us for this connection and this desire for a relationship. It was really fun for me to go back and look at scripture through this lens um, and really a lot of fun like to read what's kind of the most recent like biblical um study around this, like how are scholars understanding these, these themes? And what I found throughout it is continual good news. I just found more and more good news that we, God is continually on our side. God is continually chasing us. Um, I think anyone who's a Christian has, has that experience on some level of like, right. Cause we can't choose God on our own. Um, And so I think for me, it was just like fleshing that out of like seeing God as a good parent, seeing God is continually showing up, wanting to be with us and wanting to heal us and help us grow and mature.
0: Well, uh, I got to give you some congratulations on your first book. Uh, my sense is that it will not be your last. So I will be curious to see in future books how uh, your theology or doctrine uh, shifts or changes or deepens. I, I think that'll be an interesting thing to pay attention to. But as far as this interview, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest?
1: No, that's it. Great. Thanks so much.
0: All right. Crispin Mayfield, thank you for coming on on Daunted Life, a man's podcast.
1: All right. Thanks.
0: There you go, guys. Again, my challenge at the end of my intro was, was I fair? because I feel like I was incredibly fair. I've shown this to people in my life that have no problems telling me if I've done something wrong. And they're like, man, you shot it about as straight down the center as you thought you could have. I can't believe that's how that guy reacted. So again, shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life if you feel differently and kind of give me your thoughts on the interview. I would absolutely appreciate it. But before I let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And because I'm such a nice guy, and because i'm i'm so, you know, positive and i'm okay with things. I've got the links that i would normally do for anybody that would come on our podcast. I've got a link to Crispin Mayfield's book attached to God and i've got a link to his website. Now, i will say one thing from the beginning and i there's no tongue in cheek here, okay? There's no sarcasm i'm not winking into the camera even if you're just listening to this. This is not a good time for you guys to go and flame him on social media or reach out to him and say how much you think he's stupid or all that. Save it. Okay? Don't don't do that. Like for one thing, it's it's not a a it's not a good moral thing for you to do, to, to go after somebody like that and to call him names and, and do any of those things like that's not a positive thing. So I'm not interested in you guys doing that. I don't want you to do that explicitly. If you do that, you're going against what I would ask you to do. And on the second thing, a guy like that is going to internalize all the things you're saying and then treat them emotionally because that's how he's wired. And you're basically giving him ammunition to use on the, the people in his life that are like, oh my gosh, are you seeing all these people that are so mean to me? Look at these evangelicals, what is happening? Don't do that, right? Just save it. Again, no one has ever changed their mind based on a Twitter beef or based on a, on a Facebook back and forth on comments or something like that. Just save it. Plug this away, share this with some other people in your life to get their opinions and just move on. I certainly have. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do <laughs> We already did the Quick Resilience Boost. Here I go. I'm messing my own self up. I'm just here to thank you now. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. Thank you for dealing with all of this and thank you for dealing with my intro. I know that was a little bit different for you, but wherever you are listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. Again, the email info at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www undaunted.life and also we want to thank the band august burns red for allowing us to use their music for our content the music on this podcast is their song cutting the ties which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album leveler the links are in the description i'm your host kyle thompson remember keep pushing back darkness keep forging spiritual mental and physical resilience keep seeking the lion of judah